Ephesians chapter 6. Those three opening verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Our gracious Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We thank you for its authority. And Father, how we praise you for its sufficiency, that it meets every need, it answers every problem, and Father, it addresses every issue. And we thank you for our study this morning, and we'll give you the praise for it in our Savior's name. Amen. Thus far, folks, we have seen two pictures in our study of family members. We've discovered that the wife is the picture of the church, for the church is under the spiritual leadership of Christ, the wife is under the spiritual leadership of the husband. We've seen greater responsibility in the husband as a picture of Christ. He's the head of the church, gave himself for it, so therefore he is the head of the wife and gives himself for her. That brings us to children. The child is a picture of the Christian. As the Christian lives an obedient life, so the child lives in strict obedience to his parents. Now please notice again that Paul is still illustrating, be filled with the Spirit, submitting yourselves one to another. That is, in God's order, you are submitting in God's plan and in God's order. Every family member must be filled with the Spirit and submitting in God's prescribed manner. Otherwise, a godly family will not exist. Folks, we live in a, a, a day of unparalleled rebelliousness. And nowhere, I believe, is this more clearly seen than in young people. I read some time ago a report from the Great Lakes Naval Training Station in Illinois. Tells that a shocking percentage of young men in America of Navy enlistment age must be rejected because of one or more disqualifications. Criminal record, personality or psychological disorder, some kind of health issue or failure to measure up to even the most basic recruiting training. Many have problems because they do not even know simple things that should be learned at the home. Further, increasing numbers of young people are involved in drug and alcohol abuse. And most every one of us, of course, have heard of deaths on college campuses due to binge drinking. Basic respect for authority is virtually non-existent. Morals and values have degraded so far that virginity is considered abnormal. In view of all of that and a lot more, various solutions have been offered. None of them work. One is money, of course. We just throw more money at the problem in the form of public education and social programs and things just continue to get worse. Teachers spend more time trying to restore discipline in the classroom than they do actually teaching anything. Some teachers have been knifed and even shot for their trouble. And in the process, in fact, the very things that would help solve the problems have been thrown away. Morals, values, parental authority, corporal punishment, the Bible, patriotism, just U.S. history, for crying out loud, right? 
And on top of that, in their place are relativism, sexual liberation, alternate lifestyles, homosexual marriage, abortion, contraception, and every everything we can imagine and some things we can't. Nothing gets better. Another answer that has been offered, not only money, but more literature. We've got more books, we've got seminars and articles on child training, even Christian ones. But quite frankly, most of them are based on the author's opinions or methods or personal experience. One book will contradict another. Therefore, as a result of these so-called answers, children are more and more confused and corrupted and angry. Even Christian young people are tainted by public education and are no better off than their unsaved classmates. But folks, there is an answer. If we will simply obey that answer, in four verses of Scripture, God provides us with the parent-child relationship and what it must be. It's extremely interesting and significant to note that like husbands and wives, Paul speaks to children directly. I want you to ponder that for a moment. I'll come back to it later. I hope I don't get myself in trouble, but I, I want to come back to it very briefly. But he speaks to children directly. In other words, he doesn't say, Fathers, I want you to tell your kids what I'm writing to you right now. No, in fact, he addresses children directly. The obvious significance of this fact is clearly demonstrates that the children were present in the congregation when the letter was read. They were present. If I may dare interject, therefore, this demonstrates that they were with their parents. I'm not going to go into some of the obvious implications, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it a little bit a little bit later, and all of this material and much more historically is, is in the book. But folks, there is much we could deal with here once again, but just giving you some of the high points this morning, I want us in this, uh, and we'll, we'll also look at some things in our final study on parenting, but I want to examine two major thoughts that Paul presents. First, the action, and then the attitude. And each one of those I'll break down a little bit further for you and give you uh, some principles here this, this morning. First of all, the action that God demands from children. Verse 1. Here's a command, young folks. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And the reason for this is right. Let me further divide this into three principles this morning. I want you to notice first the graphic Greek term for obey. Very important term, very clear. We've noted it already. It is the word hupakuo. Now, a lot of Greek words have a root and then a prefix or sometimes a suffix. But this word is unique. It is comprised of, again, two Greek words, hupa, meaning under, and the word akuo, meaning to hear or to listen. Okay, what does obedience mean then? Obedience doesn't just mean following orders. It doesn't mean just say, okay, I'll do it. I don't want to, but I'll do it. It's not just following orders. Rather, obedience means to get under the authority of someone and to listen. Right? To listen. 
Okay, how many folks, uh, I know no parent has ever had this happen but me. You say something to your child and it's, they look at you with this look and you say, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. I see that's happened to you too. But the, my next question is, yes, I know you heard me, son, but are you listening to me? That's completely different. Therefore, that is what this word means. Again, it's in the imperative mood. It shows a command of God. So God commands children to get under the authority of their parents and listen. They are not just do what they're told, but to listen and assimilate what they hear. So to the, to the children that are here this morning, I want to encourage you, listen to your parents. Now, I know you don't believe what I'm about to say, but it's true. They actually do know more than you. I know sometimes we're clueless, okay? Our brother shared that this morning on computers, bless his heart, he tries. Sometimes we're clueless. But young folks, we do know more than you. You see, we were kids, I know you can't even fathom this, we were kids once too. We've been through the same troubles, the same challenges, the same temptations, the same pressures as you have and are. So therefore, lest children think this too harsh or unreasonable, we should point out here Paul's revolutionary teaching. Once again, like the wife and the husband, what Paul says here was revolutionary in his day. Paul transformed these attitudes of men, women, and children. You see, under Roman law, a father had what was called patria potestas. Just a little Latin thing that meant the father's power. He had this power over his children, and that power was absolute. He could make a child a slave or sell that child into slavery, scourge him, even kill him. He had absolute power over his children. A child possessed Nothing. Nothing. All he had or anything he received belonged to his father. Any inheritance willed to him belonged to his father and became his father's property. If in fact it did not matter how old the son was or what honors he was, was responsible, he was still responsible to the father. He was absolutely in the father's power. Even a married daughter remained in the father's power unless he allowed her to marry cum manu, which meant with the hand. And if he allowed her to do that, he gave her hand unto the power, that is the hand of her husband. Absolute. This certainly does not infer that all Roman fathers were evil monsters. As a matter of fact, the position of pater familias, master of the house, was often partially checked and tempered by public opinion. So therefore, it, that, it tempered his, his attitudes and his actions, but the power was still there and showed the position of the child as nothing. 
Sometimes, in fact, children were simply a misfortune to the parents. So they were just left in the Roman Forum to become the property of whoever wanted them, and usually the only reason someone wanted them was to enslave them or sell them into prostitution. A sickly baby had little chance of survival. In the first century A.D., statesman Seneca wrote, quote, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into a sickly cattle lest they taint the herd, children who are born weakly and deformed we drowned, unquote. Sadly, is that any different than what we do today? None. No difference. Folks, in stark contrast, Paul, by divine inspiration, puts two principles at the core of the parent-child relationship. The child's twofold responsibility is obedience and honor, and the parent's responsibility, as we'll see this evening, is training training. One of the things that we found out very early in our son's life is, you know, you want to teach your children, you want to teach them all kinds of stuff, but you can't teach them anything until you train them first. That's the hard part. Teachings, that's the easy part. It's the training that's the hard part. We constantly hear nowadays about each person's rights but folks, what really matters is not our rights, but our responsibilities. So when we are conscious of our rights, we are thinking only of what gratifies us instead of what glorifies God and best for everyone else. Therefore, relationships are not built on the foundation of rights. Relationships are built on the foundation of responsibilities. Every family member's responsibilities also included in the child's obedience are not just hearing and doing, but doing it in the right attitude. How many of you young folks here this morning never, ever, ever have an attitude problem? Or as you folks say today, don't give me tood, right? Now some of you never heard that, but the young folks have. I have a young son, so I know these things. Attitude. What is our attitude? Children are all too often like the story of the little boy who was told by his teacher to stand in the corner, or pardon me, to sit in the corner. And as he sat there, he was thinking, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Attitude. The scriptures call for heart obedience to your parents, heart obedience, not just outward, but the inward. Young folks, I want to encourage you how thankful you should be to be born in a Christian home. You have no idea. Perhaps you do. Maybe you've been taught enough that you finally got that principle. Some children are born into atheism where the idea of God is squelched and scoffed. Others are born into paganism, where they are taught to worship lifeless idols. Many are born into materialism, where they learn that money and possessions are the ultimate goal of life. Still others are born into hedonism, where one, all one can hope for in life is pleasure, lust, and self-gratification, always going after the next high. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, Luke 12, 19. 
Others' children, millions, are born into fanaticism, such as Islam, where they are taught to martyr themselves and murder others for Allah. I don't know if it's still on. I did some research the other day, and I don't know if it's still on, but at one time it was back in uh, 06. It was a primetime television show played throughout Palestine called The Children's Club. Very similar to Sesame Street, but with a little sick twist to it. It was dedicated to teaching Islamic children to become fanatics. Songs were sung to celebrate the day when they would spill their blood as a suicide bomber. I don't know if they had Cookie Monster or not, but appalling. In glorious contrast, children born into a Christian home are taught what true love is, what divine love is, what brotherly love is, what it means to love other believers, to love, to love those without Christ and to be able not to kill them, but to reach them with the gospel of Christ, where there are taught about sin and salvation, where they're taught mercy and grace and faith. They are taught that the truth is found only in Jesus Christ and his word. It's also significant that Paul speaks of parents here and not just fathers. Parents translates the a Greek word which is derived from genomai to generate. In other words, the word clearly condemns the movement in, in our day toward, obviously, homosexuality and parenting. For indeed, such a union propagates something, namely perversion, but it doesn't generate anything. It certainly doesn't give life to anything. It takes a man and a woman to generate life. So the Greek, therefore, refers to either one of such parents. So by using this word, Paul differentiates Christianity immediately from paganism. Ancient pagans did not connect father and mother. They usually only spoke of the father. But God purposely connects the two because this further illustrates the unity of the family and how essential that is. Now, please also note the words, in the Lord. In the Lord. There is a controversy here, much like the one we saw in our study of the wife. It is asked, should a child obey parents even if they are wrong? Some of you young people are perking up, I can tell. What's he going to say? Should they obey even if he is wrong? Well, I want you to notice that the whole issue revolves around the word wrong. What does wrong mean? Are parents always going to be right? I'll ask you parents first. Are you, are you going to always be right? No. And I don't need to ask the young folks. Will parents ever make wrong decisions? Yes. We do. I never did, but anyway, my wife, my wife has on occasion. But. but that is not what Paul is dealing with here. What's in view is a parent telling a child to do something that is plainly against God's law, something that is immoral, illegal, or otherwise contrary to the word of God. Therefore, a parent who does that forfeits God's given, God-given authority. 
As we saw with the wife, the husband or the father is a representative of God, not a replacement for God. So with that in mind, we easily see that it is rarely, if ever, actually going to be the case in a truly Christian home. Young folks, your godly parents are not going to tell you something that is morally wrong or insist that you do something that is counter to the word of God. Would you ponder also, first, that this principle of this word obey, but Ponder secondly, what does God demand, or pardon me, why does God demand this obedience? There's a reason for this. And he says it very clearly, and I, I love the simplicity of this. The text just tells us clearly because it is right. You know, someone says at this point, well, where's all the psychological studies? Where, where are the case studies? Where's the, the, um, the uh, evidence? Who cares? <laughs> God said the reason is because it is right. The Greek here is a, a word that is used many, many times in the Greek New Testament, the word dikaios, which means righteousness. It's also translated just a couple of other ways. But it is a word that is so pivotal, it means righteousness. When children obey, they are being righteous. Now think of that, young folks, please. When you obey, even sometimes when you're uh, I'm struggling with that, obey anyway. Because when you do, we'll work on your attitude later. When you do, you're being righteous. You are being godly in that obedience. If you disobey, you're being unholy, unrighteous, and ungodly. So therefore, we do it because it is right. But now again, why is it right? There is a reason. Because there is nothing more foundational to human society than obedience. Ponder that, please. There is nothing more foundational to human society than obedience. Most cultures, past and present, in fact, recognize this principle to one extent or another. When this is disobeyed, however, decadence is inevitable. So foundational is this that Moses wrote by divine inspiration, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 20, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, bring him out into the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. We read further, a persistently rebellious child is worse than worthless. It's a detriment to society. Further, Paul declares that being disobedient to parents is a trait of, a de of depravity in Romans 1.30. And that persistent child, that persistent obedience, ultimately could end in that child being stoned to death outside the city walls. Why, that's appalling. Is it really? What good is an individual? Our prisons, are they not full of them? What 
good to anyone is those who say, I will not obey anybody or anything. I will do what I want. That comes right out of the depravity of hell. They're worthless. They're worse than worthless because they are a detriment to society itself. And America is running headlong into decadence as her children go, grow more and more rebellious. All of us, no matter what age we are, are under one authority or another. The sooner we learn that principle, the more useful we will be to family, church, society, and ourselves. It's for our benefit as well to be obedient. One other principle we would, we would see here in this, ad, this action is how long are children under disobedience? Some of you young folks are pondering that right now. How long do I have to do this? Okay, Boy, one of these days I'm going to get out of the house and I'll do anything I want. I won't have any more rules. I won't have any more responsibility. No, you'll have a lot more. How long do I have to do this? I want you to notice something very subtle. The Greek word used for children is the Greek techna. Techna. Now, Paul does not use the word paideon or the word technion because both of those words refer to a small child. Rather, he uses techna because it refers to the offspring in the sense of progeny. In other words, techna refers to children of any age. Any age. No matter what age a child is, as long as he or she is under the parent's roof, is required to obey. Furthermore, as we've mentioned already, even after a child leaves home, he or she should seek and listen to a parent's godly counsel. Is it not also interesting, indeed, that God gives only this, uh, that God gives only this command to children? This is it. We had to emphasize that as we homeschool our son, uh, brought him all the way up through, that sometimes uh, his only job, as we told him, um, and as he got older, we would explain, but we would always emphasize, as I'll share this evening in parenting, there is one principle, folks, of parenting, obedience. You discipline a child not because of mistakes, right? Never do that. You discipline them for disobedience. Disobedience will not be tolerated. It will be immediately dealt with. But we told him many times, we said, tell you what, you're getting older, you can understand more, we'll explain later, but for right now, you do it. Obedience. So therefore, it's interesting that that's all that God says for children to do. Folk, kids, that's easy. You're not always going to have, that's actually a blessing. Because indeed, to husbands and wives and parents, he gives many responsibilities. But to young folks, you've only got one. Just do what you're told. Children don't have to go out and make a living. They don't have to feed themselves. They don't have to worry about food and clothing or anything else or shelter. They're just concerned with one thing, obedience. Why? Because it's right. Because it's righteous. Because it's godly. Because it's foundational. It's foundational essence because it will build and mold your character. 
Can I throw something in for no extra charge again? We often hear, well, sports. Oh, sports. Now, I'm not saying this as a non-athlete, okay? Please understand me. I was an athlete and all that kind of stuff. But we say sports build character. What nonsense. Sports reveal character. Look at the professionals if you want to see twisted character. No, the Word of God builds character. And young folks, it will start when you obey the Word of God and obey the representatives of the Word of God that are in your life right now, and that's mom and dad. Because it will train you to be what God demands of you. If children learn this one principle, I promise everything else will come more easily throughout the rest of your life. That foundational principle. So ponder first the action. Now let's go deeper to look secondly at the attitude that God, that God demands. The attitude in verses 2 and 3, honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Let me again further break this down to three other principles. First, the attitude behind the action. Folks, I think one of the great principles of God's word, one of the great blessings is God never gives his people commands without reason. <clears throat> There's always a reason behind what he says. He never gives us an action that he doesn't also give us an attitude that is the foundation of the action. And the attitude here is the word honor. Honor is the Greek tamao, which means to estimate worth, to hold in respect or honor or to revere. Now, I, I don't know, young folks, it, it might be asking a little much for you to revere your parents. But you honor them. You notice and note their worth. You estimate that worth. To fail to honor parents is the same as saying they are worthless. To disobey is to say your words are worthless. Your even in your existence in my face is worthless. That's dishonoring to God, not to mention to them. It's also extremely significant that this command is found among the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, of course, verse 12. And as you study those foundational commands, we find that the first four speak of what man's relationship to God is supposed to be. The last six, and I know you, I'm sure you all know this, those last six, on the other hand, speak of what man's relationship to, should be to fellow man. So the very first one of those six is the command, honor your father and mother. Therefore, as obedience is the foundational principle of human society, Honoring one's parents is the foundational principle for all human relationships. Do I need to say that again? As the foundational principle of human society is obedience, honoring one's parents is the foundational principle for all human relationships. If you 
cannot honor your parents, you will never honor any living soul on the planet. It must begin there. After one is right with God, the next most important thing is to be right with your parents. Absolutely foundational. Moreover, if one does not honor parents, neither will he honor and respect any other individual. No one. I appreciate what I read of John Gill. You folks are good Baptists, so you know who John Gill was, don't you? Right? Amen. Ministered there a hundred years before Spurgeon in London. Spurgeon quoted him quite often. I never study anything that I don't read. What does Gill say? And if I find myself disagreeing with John Gill, I better dig deeper. John Gill wrote this, quote, The persons to whom obedience from them is due are not only real and immediate parents, both father and mother, but such who are in the room of parents as stepfathers, stepmothers, guardians, nurses, etc., and all who are in the ascending line as grandfathers and grandmothers, etc., to these children should be subject, end quote. Folks, I want to share something this morning that I, I believe is critical. Western culture has lost something that still exists in many parts of the Orient, namely children's respect and honor for family patriarchs. And we should add adults in general. I think this is tragic. Instead of learning from those who have been through all the things that they are now facing, young people view such old people of a completely different generation, out of touch and totally clueless. Don't you? <laughs> well, more tragic still is the fact that most churches don't help the situation very much. Instead, if I may again interject just a thought to get you thinking about these things, they divide the church into age groups and isolate those age groups from one another. I find this troubling. And if I may at least add this much more, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble, I'm just going to speak one more time this evening, so I hope I'm okay here. But I believe it's extremely crucial that what we find in Scripture in point of fact is that children of every age were always, without a single exception, with the parents when God's people met for worship. Leviticus 23.3 and 14 shows that family worship was the pattern that was brought into the corporate worship. Deuteronomy 29, 10 through 13 speaks of the little ones. Wonderful Hebrew word here, the word taf. It means small child, that is a toddler. They were present as Moses taught the people about God's covenant. Joshua 8:35 declares that Joshua read the law of Moses to all the people once again with the little ones present. We should also note that the reading took all day and that the people were there to hear it all day. I'm pretty sure there were a few uh, diapers to change, right? Or as the British would say, a nappy. A few nappies had to be changed or a child had to be disciplined, but such things were taken in stride and dealt with as demanded. Further examples that we could go into depth here, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 13, Nehemiah 12, 43, Joel 2, 15 and 16. 
Folks, I, I'm convinced that God wants every member of the family present for worship. Yes, needs will arise. Discipline issues, physical issues. So take care of them, but God's people need to meet together. This precedent is unchanged in the New Testament, frankly. Isn't this interesting? Would you ponder this? I, I know this, this rattles cages sometimes when you say this. But isn't it interesting in Luke 2, verses 41 to 42, that we do not find 12-year-old Jesus going to children's temple? <laughs> or we don't find any little program called Junior Passover? No, he was with his parents at that wondrous worship event. During his earthly ministry, Children were present on numerous occasions, as was mentioned in the morning session when Jesus taught Matthew 18, Mark chapter 10. Acts repeatedly speaks of worship taking place from house to house. Acts 2, 46 and 20, verse 20, indicating families. Even drawings, did you know this? Even drawings in the catacombs show families worshiping together. We've lost that. We've divided up the family, you know, we, families walk in the church nowadays and it's like a bomb went off. Everybody goes out like shrapnel. Again, I may be in trouble, but I find that, that troubling. That is not the biblical precedent. Folks, let's go on. Coming back to this principle of honoring father and mother. This is so important that God placed upon it a twofold promise and warning. Please notice that it may be well with thee shows the quality of life that God wants for us. That it may be well with thee. That's God's blessing. Obey that you may be blessed for it. Why? Because it's right. God's going to bless your righteousness. He's going to bless your faithfulness because it's the right thing to do. He wants our lives to be full and rich. And when we honor parents, they will be. The words, therefore, that ye may live long on the earth are a general principle that shows the quantity of life that God wants for us. He wants us to live long as he originally intended for us to live. And obviously, there will be times when a person will die young, even though he did honor his parents, but this is a general principle. Quality and quantity. This was originally a promise to the Jews so that they would enter the promised land. According to the basic Septuagint translation, Septuagint, of course, is the Greek Old Testament. In Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the, uh, uh, upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Did you notice the difference? In the Old Testament, it's translated land, or the, the word is land, Paul adapts it, however, in the New Testament and says the earth. Applying it not just to Jews who would inherit the land, but all of us who inhabit the earth. It's a general principle. Remember a fellow by the name of Absalom? He is an example of one who rebelled against his father David and as a result died while still young. Samson likewise rebelled and shortened his life. The book of Proverbs is repeatedly counsels young uh, people in this principle. Let me just give you a few. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart 
Keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. Then when you go to chapter 4, verse 10, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Chapter 10, verse 27, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Again, in 1920, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. One more, chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Pretty graphic words. Therefore, let us not cut our lives short by failure to honor our parents. I appreciated this statement by commentator John Phillips. He well sums up this whole passage. Quote, a child who grows up to love, honor, and obey his mother and father lays the foundation for a happier, more stable, and more successful life than does a child who is rude, disrespectful, self-willed, and rebellious. A stormy path lies ahead for a disobedient child. He will drift into bad company, resent all rules and authority, and in many cases end up on the wrong side of the law. Contemporary society has produced a bumper crop of young people who are determined to do their own thing. Many of them are enmeshed in the drug and sex scene and are filled with restlessness and rage." Unquote. That was written several years ago, by the way. How much more truer it is, how much more truth there is in that today. So first we see the attitude behind the action. Would you ponder, secondly, what this honoring of parents involves? What this really involves? This honoring of parents, I believe, involves three specific principles. Briefly, number one is respect. Just basic respect. To strike one's father or mother merited death according to the Mosaic Law, Exodus 21, 15. It's also interesting, even to verbally abuse them met with the same fate in Exodus 21, 17. Leviticus 20, verse 9, Matthew 15, 4. You know, I was amazed uh, when I once read that there are over 8 million assaults per year by children on their parents. That's astounding. There are even children who murder their parents or hire someone else to murder them for him. Again, to respect someone means we place a high value upon them, their worth. That's the word honor. And one of the most practical ways respect is shown for one's parents is how we refer to them. I hope it's never old man and old lady. I hope it is never by their first name I don't even believe that children should be allowed to call any adult by their first name. We need to indeed emphasize respect and honor for our elders. And indeed, I tease a couple of my friends. I have one friend who is only two weeks younger than me, and I said, you need to respect your elders, bud. <laughs> but he never does. We need to teach this principle. Teach respect for elders and respect for authority. That's vanishing in our day. Not only respect, but ponder something else that honoring parents involves, and that is obedience once again. Obedience. 
We've already mentioned this principle, of course, but we come back to it once again by adding one other thought. I've heard many parents say that after a child's growing disobedience, you are just asking for it. You've never said that, have you? You're just asking for it. Well, you know, actually, as we'll see in our study of parenting, spanking or any other kind of discipline, parents should give commands only once, and with disobedience, it must be immediately and consistently, as we'll see this evening, consistently dealt with. But see, that statement that that child makes, or that you make, is actually true. Now, they don't know this is true. They don't know that they're asking for it. They don't know that they're asking for discipline. They don't know that they're asking for guidance, but they're screaming for it. Children want to know the boundaries. They want to know exactly where the boundaries are. When we were raising our, our little guy, he was about five at the time, and we moved to a new, a new house, and his boundary was the lawn. I'm out front. And we said, if you can, you know, find somebody to play with, uh, then they can play with you in the backyard. Well, our son would take his little lawn chair, little bitty thing, and go out and sit by the street, right, by the mailbox, right at his boundary. And any kid that came, came along, he'd say, hey, you want to play in my backyard? And finally, he got a few, few hits. He knew the boundaries. And he knew what would happen if he violated those boundaries and what would happen immediately upon violation of those boundaries. Kids want to know the boundaries. Kids actually ask for discipline. Many, in fact, uh, people mistakenly think children want to be left to themselves. No, they do not. That couldn't be further from the truth. They need to know the boundaries. What a terrible thing it is for children who have no direction. But you ponder thirdly here, this honoring of parents also involves financial support. Uh-oh. Guy must be a Baptist. Now he's going to talk about money, right? Financial support. If, one par if one's parents come to the place where they can no longer take care of themselves, it becomes the child's responsibility to invest the time and money to do so. Biblical precedent is found in Matthew 15, 1 through 6. The Pharisees kept support from their parents in the name of the Lord. I know you've read the passage, right? When you read that passage, they said certain monies and possessions were set aside for the Lord. They were challenged to take care of their parents. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we, we can't take care of our parents. That money is set aside for God. Hypocrites. They, of course, set that money aside for themselves. They were hoarding it for themselves. One of the serious shortcomings of American society is the gross neglect of parents by children. Now, folks, I am not referring here to when it becomes necessary for full-time nursing care. It cannot be provided by the family. I'm not criticizing that at all. Rather, we're referring to the practice of putting one parents in a retirement home or nursing home when it's not necessary, we can, when we could meet their needs. That's also assuming that they'll let you. I know there's parents that say, nope, you're not doing that. Okay. <laughs> but it is our responsibility to honor them and meet that need if it can't be met somewhere else. Barring legitimate circumstances, such a practice is often motivated by selfishness and, in fact, because children do not want to be bothered with that responsibility. Just don't want to be bothered. Didn't our parents sacrifice for us? What is it going to hurt us to, abandon, to meet those needs 
shame on us if we abandon them. Folks, one other principle that I would share with you here. Thirdly, the results of honoring parents. The results. What's it, how, what result will this bring in your own Christian living? What a blessing it is to see that honoring one's parents brings certain byproducts. And again, very briefly, three, and then we close. Number one, honoring parents instills a deeper reverence for God. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we read Paul's terrible description of the sins of mankind in the last days. I know you've read it. Ponder this as we read it again. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Folks, we quote that passage so we can see that right at the middle of that list is blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. You see, blasphemy of God and respect for parent, of respect of parents go hand in hand. Disrespect of parents. They go hand in hand. If one has no respect for parents, he will have no respect of God and vice versa. This, in fact, places added responsibility upon parents, as we'll see this evening. Children should see in them a love and reverence for God. By seeing this, the children will have a deeper love and reverence of God because they love and reverence their parents. Parents, we are the trainers. Have you ever noticed how they mimic? Oh, it's embarrassing. They mimic what you do. They mimic what you say. They look, they're all, and boy, are they listening. Sometimes you don't think they're listening, but those little ears are taking it all in, bouncing around up in there, and then they say something later, and you think, did I say, <laughs> did I say that? They're listening. Oh, what we need to put into their, into their minds. Ponder secondly, not only instills a deeper reverence for God, but honoring parents promotes the right attitude toward law, government, and other adults. Honoring parents promotes the right attitude toward law, government, and other adults. You know, any juvenile court judge will attest to the fact that there is no respect for parents. Where there is no respect for parents, there is no respect for law. We in Christianity need to change our vocabulary. I want to share something with you. It was, it was mentioned, I appreciated the, the mentioning of this in, in the other session this morning. And that is that Christian parents should not have the attitude that they are raising children. I liked what he's, our brother said about creating children. In our vernacular, we use the idea, well, I'm, I'm raising kids. I hope not. <laughs> I hope you're not raising kids. I really do. We've got enough of those running around at 40 and 50 years old. I hope rather, I mean, if you raise corn, what are you going to get? You're going to get corn. We're not raising corn, so we don't want to raise kids. 
Rather, folks, we should be raising future citizens. We should be raising future adults. We should be raising and training future godly Christians. God forbid that we raise children. And finally, honoring parents instills a deeper reverence for God, promotes a right attitude toward law, government, and adults, and finally, it passes on this heritage to the next generation. Passes on this to the next generation. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. Passing it on to the next generation. God has designed these to be passed on precept by precept and by example to each successive generation by the previous generation. God wants parents to teach their children these principles so they in turn will teach them to their children who will teach them to their children and so on. This practice will give us a lasting Christian heritage. I encourage all you parents, don't break that chain. Or, if you don't have that chain, build one. Put the links on it now and pass it on to your children. Folks, we're going to build upon these principles actually this evening and look at some more as we study parenting. But many, but may every Christian young person be challenged to obey and honor their parents. Why? I hope you know by now. Because it's right. That's why. Let the world do wrong. Let the world go its own way. Let the world go into its oblivion and into the abyss. Because that's where it's headed. But we will do that which is right by God's grace and for his glory. God bless you, folks.